Have you ever felt like it was difficult to share your faith, especially with someone in your own family? Well, we've all been there. And with the holidays coming up, we know there's people in our lives that we want to engage, but we don't often know how. Well, today I'm joined by Greg Steer, the founder of Dare to Share Ministries. He teaches young people and adults how to clearly and effectively share their faith in Christ. So don't go away. Conversations with a Calvinist begins right now. Welcome back to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. Well, it's funny how people uh, cross your paths in life, and sometimes they cross your path at one point, and you don't realize it, and they're going to come back into your life at another point, and that's where I am today, because about 20 years ago, my ministry path crossed with a man named Greg Steer. I met Greg Steer at a Dare to Share conference, which was being hosted in Jacksonville, Florida. I brought a group of young people. I listened to him share his faith. I listened to him teach the young people how to share their faith. I, I always loved the, the fact that he included, uh, there were movie clips and there's all kinds of stuff in his, in his talk. It was really fun to watch and enjoyable. I remember very specifically uh, a Mel Gibson movie made in there and I won't talk about <laughs> talk about all that but it was a very interesting talk and I got an opportunity the leaders went and sat down with Greg and asked him questions and learned some things and I was always impressed by how he engaged with young people and encouraged them in sharing their faith and to this day I still use the gospel acrostic that he taught me many years ago when I'm teaching our young people how to share their faith or I'm giving the gospel to the young people in our karate program so for those of you who don't know I want to bring Greg in now. I want to introduce him. Greg, thank you for being a part of Conversations with the Calvinist today. Hey, Sig, I'm so glad to be a part of this. And uh, yeah, 20 years ago, man, that was a, I remember the Jacksonville event. I remember we, we, we had a hotel that we went to that rented by the hour. And uh, <laughs> our team was like, hey, what does it mean? I go, some people need naps. We're going to get a different hotel. So we, we switched. We were in a bad part of down there in Jacksonville, and uh, but a great conference. And, yeah, I love talking to the students, talking to the youth leaders. So nice to see you again, Keith, after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's like I said, it's interesting how our paths cross and uncross. And I actually saw you recently on Twitter, and that's what uh, I had been using the acrostic for years. I had told people about Dare to Share over the years, um, but I wasn't a youth leader anymore. I wasn't really connected with that world as much, so I didn't I didn't see you. But at the same time, I knew you were there. And when I saw you on Twitter, I said, "Hey, I got to try to connect and see if he'll come on the show." And you were gracious enough to do that. So I want to, oh, well, you know, this is, I will, I watch your videos. And so, you know, for me, humor, you know, theology is important to humor is a close number two. And, uh, so man, well, well humor gets, get, humor gets the message across for sure. A, a lot. It, it does. And I use a lot of humor and, and the way that I speak. So I, I appreciate what you do. And yeah, man, it's, it's great. Twitter is, is, is bringing back alliances. So it's uh, really nice to see you again after all these years. Absolutely. So Greg, I know that some of the people in my audience might not be familiar with what you do and sure. they might not be familiar with Dare to Share Ministries. So for the next few minutes, if you could tell us who you are, tell us yeah. the, the ministry, how you got it started and what its goals and purposes are. 
Well, you know, uh, so I lead a ministry called Dare to Share. Um, I'm a husband uh, to one wife, uh, 32 years, and then uh, two kids, two adult uh, children. Jeremy, who's 22, just got married, and Kaylee, who's 19, is going to Word of Life Bible Institute down in uh, down in Tampa, Florida. And uh, yeah, my family, you know, it's interesting because I was not raised in a typical Christian home. I was raised in a family full of what I call bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer drinking thugs. And that's just the women. My family was very violent. <laughs> Inner I, city. I, I, I don't mean to laugh. I, that was just a funny joke. But I, I did catch your interview with Focus on the Family, where yeah, you yeah. told the story about your uncles and the mistreatment you received. And that, that was a very moving moving yeah. story. Yeah. Well, my whole family was very violent, uh, feared by the mafia in North Denver and respected by the mafia. You know, my and a hillbilly preacher from the Deep South, whose nickname was Yankee, for whatever reason, uh, planted a church in the suburbs of Denver and in Adair, reached reached my family for Christ uh, over the course of a couple of years. And I watched as a, as a kid, my whole family transformed. I was a terrified student, you know, kid that did, just really didn't know my identity. I never knew my biological father as a result of a, my mom met my dad at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He found out he got transferred. You know, I was raised by a single mom and, you know, apartment complexes and trailer courts and a very violent home. And all of a sudden, my tough uncles who were in and out of jail, oftentimes for violence, one by one by one were transformed. Um, I went to Yankees youth group. Yankee, who believed in the power of the gospel and the potential of young people, uh, invited me in. I went into the youth group uh, actually before middle school. I was 11 years old. I snuck in. And I saw hundreds of teenagers uh, not being entertained, getting trained, equipped, mobilized, getting taught theology, getting going out and doing Friday night soul winning. You know, we didn't do advance. We did soul winning. And I got caught up in the whirlwind because it had transformed my entire family. And uh, I remember at one point we had 800 teenagers in our youth group, only 300 adults in our church. Wow. So although although Yankee was the lead pastor, he was really like you. He was a youth pastor with with lead pastor clothes on, you know. Hmm. He was youth leader. He was a youth leader with authority and a budget. And uh, <laughs> and funny. so and I was equipped. He he was like the fastest way to reach the city was through the young. And so, you know, dare to share. You know, I took all the stuff that I learned. I scraped out the legalism because it was what independent fundamentalist church spackled the cracks with grace and love and the Holy Spirit, and that's what dare to share is i mean basically we you know yankee would have never used movie clips like i did at the jacksonville <laughs> conference yankee would not have done the music we did you know um but he equipped us to share the gospel and he believed in us and so dare to share you know we we provide free curriculum tools resources we have a face sharing app we can talk about later we do dare to share live which is instead of the conferences now we do a global day of youth evangelism where we have uh, on-demand videos that around the world, November 11th, we had, we had uh, 21,000 teenagers from uh, 42 countries uh, trained and equipped on November 11th and mobilized to share the gospel, just like we did in Jacksonville. We do. We, everybody goes out and shares Christ, but now it's global. And uh, yeah, that was one of. That was one of the things, not to interrupt you, but that was one of the things in your conference 
we actually went out into the neighborhoods. I remember you sent us out. And if I remember correctly, we went out and we did like a food drive. But during the yep. food drive, we were asking people to donate food and then asking them about their eternal condition. I don't remember the language we used, but that was essentially it. We, you know, we were asking people, you know, questions about their life. And uh, and those those diagnostic questions sort of led into the gospel. So, uh, yeah, I remember doing that. I remember taking our youth group out and, and doing that. So Well, you know what it does is it stretches a a teenager's faith stretches a youth leader's faith because it's scary. It stretches my faith. I've been sharing my faith for a long time, you know, and I still get nervous every time I go out. Uh, but it makes me depend on the Holy Spirit. I actually believe, Keith, that the missing element in our discipleship strategies is evangelism. Um, you know, in the Western mindset, we have this thought that, well, it's just milk in a sponge. We just need better theology. Uh, and to pour it into the sponge of the minds of our adults or our teenagers. Well, what happens is is if they don't squeeze it out, that milk rots, it spoils. And what I find a lot is there's a lot of, you know, some churches there's no theology being taught, but in a lot of churches there's theology being taught, and we think, well, that's the key. And I'm like, well, that's a key. Uh, but when students and adults begin to squeeze that out to their friends and make disciples, they come back thirsty for more and it keeps it fresh. So I think evangelism, we've turned it into the 401 class and that's a mistake. Uh, it needs to be right away. What was the first thing? If you, uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 in the NIV 1984. The, the, good, the, the good NIV. <laughs> The, the new King James is what I call the new King James Bible in 1984. Um, yeah, the, the good one. Uh, the, the text notes, uh, when it says, you know, you believe in your heart, and declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. The text note says that it was most likely the baptismal confession. So you believe in your heart and then you got baptized and you stood in the water and said, Jesus is Lord. Well, you didn't do that in the confines of a church. You did that at the Jordan River. You did that in Midfah on the, on the you know, south steps of the temple. And everybody heard you do that. That was your first evangelism experience. When you got baptized in public, saying Jesus is Lord. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the king. He's the Yahweh. You've been reading about in the Septuagint. Is Lord. Curious. So that, that declaration happened right away when you were a new believer. And that that's, it steals and seals your faith. So evangelism should happen from square one, not the 401 class. Because by yeah. the time you get there, you're institutionalized. Uh, my heart is, uh, I believe in the power of the gospel, and I believe in the potential of young people. And I believe the church uh, is entertaining students instead of mobilizing them. And I think that's where we're losing our students. Uh, we need to give them a king, a cause, and a crew. King Jesus, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The cause, go and make disciples a crew. We're doing this together. And surely Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. So, so not, I mean, a lot has changed since the 20 years you participated in Dare to Share in Jacksonville, Florida, but a lot has not changed. And that is, you know, we, we believe uh, teenagers can shake their world. They come to Christ quicker. They spread the gospel faster and farther than adults. Uh, you know, the great awakenings in, in the history of the United States said young people on the leading edge. I'm like, why are we not mobilizing teens now to share the gospel? So that's what we do. 
Awesome. And, uh, you know, we, you and I talked a little bit before the show, uh, before we got started and, and sort of reacquainted ourselves. And as I said, I haven't seen you in, in a lot of years. Um, and throughout those years, obviously my theology has been shaped through my studies in scripture and, uh, you know, I went to seminary, but I, I didn't learn Calvinism in seminary. Interestingly enough, I actually was taught Calvinism kills churches. That's what I was taught in seminary, but as a Calvin, as a, as a, as an evangelistic Calvinist, and that's what I call myself, uh, because we we go out and we do we do. Uh, you mentioned tracks. I I carry tracks with me all the time. We we write tracks. We, yeah. we we give out tracks. Even my business card is a track. We we do track ministry all the time. Um, and uh, do, do you find though that there is in your experience? What, what has your experience been with Calvinists in general? Are they supportive of what you do? Do they, are they negative about what you do? Or you said, you know, your, your, your pastor was sort of not, or, or uh, what's his name? Yankee. Yankee was not fan of Calvinism. Oh, Yankee. Yeah. He's still not. No, <laughs> here's the thing is, I, you know, I go to a church uh, where JT English is mm -hmm. the pastor. He wrote the book. You are a theologian, you know, definite, you know, full on Calvinist. He's an evangelistic Calvinist. I mean, he's passionate about the gospel. I mean, I heard him preach through Romans, and man, Romans 9 through 11, he just, he turned it into an, a case for evangelism to the Gentiles and Jews. I mean, it was like powerful. Uh, so, you know, my only problem with, you know, a Calvinist is, you know, if they're not sharing the gospel consistently, whether whether you think, you know, okay, you know, I, I have to, I, this is on me. I got to do this. Let's reach as many as we can. Or you think I'm the redemptive hand of God uh, that he will use. You know, I do everything for the sake of the elect that they too may be saved. You know, I'm mean, like, hey, as long as you're doing it, I'm for you. You're not. I was like, hey, let's have a chat. You know, let's have a conversation. Armenian, Calvinist, somewhere in between. Sure. You know, and so I think when when I have a problem is when, and I don't think it's, 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 it's a indirect byproduct of some Calvinistic thought. And it's almost like subconscious that God's got this, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Somebody else will, if we don't reach him, somebody else will. I never see that in the New Testament. I see Paul saying, I do everything, you know, for the sake of the elect that they too may be saved. I see him saying, you know, I become all things to all men that I may be all means save some. I, I see him saying, you know, not him, but Jude saying, snatch others from the fires and save them. How will they hear without a preacher? And that's right in the middle of Romans 9 through 11. So I, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God is sovereign. I believe, you know, Ephesians 1, Romans 9 through 11. I believe we're responsible. I believe we don't have to understand how those two truths intersect. I think sometimes we get, I think when we try to connect the dots between the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, and the responsibility of non-believers, you know, the responsibility of believers to share the gospel and the responsibility of unbelievers to respond to the gospel, I think sometimes we get above our pay grade, you know, and I think we we can live in the tension. Yeah, I think if we rob God of his mystery, we rob him of his majesty. And just like I don't understand how, God never had a beginning. I cannot comprehend that. We may never understand, you know, the, where those lines cross between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And I think it's fine. I think we trust our dad, you know, and say, hey, he's got it. Uh, what scripture says is truth. It's undeniable. It says what it says. We embrace it. And just because it doesn't fit in my puny mind, like Spurgeon said, a, a gnat, you know, a, a person trying to understand God is like a gnat trying to drink in the ocean. Like, okay. Well, let's 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 accept what we can accept. Let's believe his word and let's go. Let's go for it. 
know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Do you know, uh, uh, the, the founders ministries, are you familiar with founders ministries? Tom, Askell? I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, Tom, yeah. As- Tom Askell is very, uh, uh, great guy. I know him and, and very thankful for his ministry. And years ago, he said the difference between a Calvinist and a hyper Calvinist, he said a hyper Calvinist diminishes the responsibility of man. And he says a, a, a true Calvinist will recognize that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And, and so seeing, I, so I like that you, that you use the word responsible because that's, that's something I've always tried to impress. We are responsible to share the gospel. People are responsible to respond to the gospel. We believe it's God who, who, get, who empowers them to respond, but yet it is still our responsibility to proclaim that gospel and, and trust that God is the only one who can change their heart. But we can share the message. We can proclaim the gospel, and that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and, and I do a thing called, I call it three dot theology. It's God's responsibility to save. He's the one. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's our responsibility to share. It's their responsibility to believe. And don't connect the dots. Live in attention. Uh, again, I think when we, I think sometimes we have, I, here's what I would say too. You know, it says they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. We have to be careful, no matter what our theology, because theologies are created things. And, and I find a lot of Calvinists and I find a lot of Arminians worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator who's forever blessed. And like, we have to be careful to hold sound theology, but not worship the system. We worship the savior. And so I always think that's a warning, no matter what, you know, like there's a, there's a point like, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, raised in a dispensational uh, church. Right. Uh, but there's a thing called hyper dispensationalism. Um, you know, dispensationalism was you could, you know, it's a way to see the scriptures it's like having glasses. Hyper dispensationalism is when you, and this is true of any hyper whatever ism, you take off the glasses and you study the glasses, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you're no longer studying the scripture, you're studying the glasses. And, and I see that, uh, in all sorts of isms. So I think we just have to really be careful and really, you know, like don't get distracted. You know, you, you teach karate. I tell a story about Rodney. I met, he was a, he was a third degree black belt. He was, I was in middle school. He was in high school. He could literally work. I love nunchucks. He could work three nunchucks at a time. I'm not exaggerating. And you couldn't see him. He used two as one. And then the other hand, and when he did, I mean, it was a blur. They look like propellers. And I said, man, I want you to teach me some stuff. And he goes, okay, I want you to hit me as hard and as fast as you can right in my face. And you know, I wasn't a tough kid, but I was from the hood. So I pretended I was like, man, I got, and I went at him and I went hard and fast right at his face. And he blocked the punch by like, I missed his face by like a half an inch. And you know what he told me? He said, Greg, you don't have to waste all your energy blocking a punch. You just need to distract it by a few degrees. And I feel like Satan has distracted the church in all sorts of areas by a few degrees. And I think we have to really be careful from that and keep evangelism and disciple-making, the Great Commission or the greatest cause, right at the epicenter of what we do. You know, we love God, we serve God by making and multiplying disciples. And so I just think whatever our bent is on those things, we have to really be careful. I, I, I had two guys when I went to Colorado Christian University, Manson Salvation class, taught by Jonathan Smith. Not to be confused with Joseph Smith. He was uh, actually, he's one of the greatest theologians I've ever sat under. He was a da- old, old school Dallas Theological Seminary guy, loved the word. 
But every day before class, there was these two older students, probably in their 40s. Now they're younger students compared to me. But, you know, they would just talk. They would argue about Calvinism and Arminianism every single day. One was a staunch Calvinist. One was a start, staunch Arminian. And I'll never forget the day I had had enough before class. I go, that's it. I go, you know what? Every day I walk in this class and I hear you two guys arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism. When's the last time either of any of you led anybody to Christ or shared the gospel with anybody? I go, you Calvinist, you believe you're the redemptive hand of God to bring in the elect. You Arminian, you believe it's all on you. Both of you have no excuse. So until you start actively sharing your faith, I don't want to hear one more word out of you. And yeah, anyway, I wasn't no, a that... guy at CCU, but... <laughs> But uh, it is it is very true that that um, and oftentimes we become just so fascinated with what we know that it's all about growing our own brain rather than uh, uh, pouring that into someone else. I like the sponge analogy, and hopefully it makes it into the recording. I know we had some recording issue earlier, but you mentioned the sponge that that if the sp- well, let let's mention it. Let's mention yeah. It again. Tell yeah. say it say it again. See if I you like- remember. Tell it. You tell it because I shared it. You, you, see it. <laughs> you said uh, the, the milk goes into the sponge and if it stays in the sponge, it rots. So it has to be squeezed out yeah. and then you get fresh milk. And yeah. as, as we receive theology, if we're not squeezing it out into others, if we're not, if we're not sharing it and, and proclaiming it, then it's going to rot in the sponge. And I just thought that rotting in the sponge sounded, you know, that, 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 that resonates with me. That makes sense. Well, yeah, and you nailed it, and and that's what evangelism is. It really is. It's not just squeezing; it's squeezing out theology, the theology of soteriology, to yeah. those that don't know Christ, and sure. and then helping new believers grow. It's you know squeezing out the rest of the theology, helping them grow in Christ, and I and and they come back thirsty for more, ready for more. And so I really feel if we want to get serious about discipleship, we got to get serious about evangelism because in Matthew four nineteen through twenty, Jesus forever linked evangelism discipleship follow me and i'm going to turn you into fishers of men you're, you're going to evangelize if you're going to follow me you're going to evangelize you cannot follow christ and not evangelize you know like acts 2 let's take a look at acts 2 all right acts 2 the they're in the upper room right they're praying for the holy spirit to come holy spirit you know comes and the mighty wind and you're expect i would be expecting a dove again you know or, you know call or something eagle something comes in as a tongue on fire, which is crazy. A tongue, like a tongue, which is the ugliest cut of meat. I was in the butcher store the other day, and I saw a tongue in there. I'm like, that is the ugliest piece of meat on an animal. And it comes fluttering in on fire. It's, you know, tongues of fire. And it breaks up into smaller tongues and falls on all the believers. And I think we missed the point. We make it about tongues. Are they for the day? Aren't they for the day? I think the point is the first sign of the indwelling Holy Spirit is he sets our tongues on fire for the gospel. So when somebody tells me they're full of the spirit, I'm like, when's the last time you share the gospel? Well, I don't really do that. It's not my gift. Well, I don't, you may be full of something, but it is not the Holy <laughs> Spirit, right? Yeah. So it, we, we have to be evangelizing. I, I have an interesting question that goes right off of that because you just fed me a good question. And this is something I, I have a fellow elder and he, he is, he is the most, he's just the most God honoring evangelist. I know he, he open air preaches. He hands out tracks. He, every day he tells me, he calls me on the phone at a gospel conversation at a gospel. Con- that's just him. And what, and what you just said, you know, about evangelism being a gift, he'll often say it's, it's not a gift. It's responsibility. It's like, it's like, like, how do you feel about that? Do you think that the evangelism is a, 
is a spiritual gift or is it how how would you say that well i think it i think it's a gift but i think that the gift of the the gift of evangelist my gift is not to evangelize as an evangelist my i do that that's my duty as a believer but my gift and my gifting is to equip god's people for works of service whether you call that an office or a gift the role of the evangelist primary role is not evangelism the primary role is to equip god's people for works of service is to get everyday believers to share the gospel every day um that's the primary role and i think we we burn a lot of cash doing the big event evangelism and i'm i'm for i want to say the qualify i'm for a big event event i do big event evangelism i toured with winter jam for two or three years i mean i do festivals and all that stuff yes 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 praise god but we are missing the key if we don't mobilize believers to reach their oikos their circle of influence their co-workers family neighbors friends children you know then we're we're never gonna we're never gonna get to a movement. We're always just gonna be at an event. And so the role of the evangelist is to equip God's people to evangelize. And so I'm like, that dude, that your elder should be training the people of your church to share the gospel. And and, and he know, does giving them and, tools and, and resources. Yeah, he does. I love he, it. He, He's he, doing he his role then. Teaches classes. We we actually go out with him. He will do open air preaching, and we hand out tracks while he's preaching. Or he will. Love we've it. started. We've started a thing now where we actually do video ministry, where I will film him interacting with people, so that we can take that film back and show it to the church. We say, here's what it looks like when somebody's sharing the gospel. Here's here's the responses he gets. Here's the feedback he received. Yeah. So. I love it. Yeah. Again, evangelist, yeah, that's, evangelist that's, at Calvinist. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. My favorite kind of Calvinist. That's well, good, good deal. We can we can stay friends. <laughs> All right. So um, when we talked earlier about your your acronym, and I and I, I as I said, I've I've learned it from you in uh, uh, so many years ago. Um, you still use it to this day. I still see it on the website. I actually, I looked up a five minute video of you doing it, watched you do it. It was, it was basically yeah. the same thing I learned 20 years ago, but you now have a way yeah. for people to mobilize that digitally. So first of all, what I'd like for you to do, if you yeah. don't mind, can you share the acronym and then can you talk mm -hmm. to them, talk to our audience about the app? Cause I think that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we have we have an acrostic. I actually have it on the back side of my business card as well, right? Um, and it it's just you know thirty two years ago when we started Dare to Share. You know, one of the things I wanted to do is have a way for teenagers to understand the message of the gospel. Uh, I don't consider the gospel acrostic as a methodology. Uh, I consider it the message. We we have methods that go with it. But the illustration I use, when I go into a restaurant, steak restaurant, I don't go for the plate. I go for the steak, right? The steak, I want it served on a plate, but the steak is why I'm there. Well, the gospel message is like the steak. The methodology we use to serve it up is the plate, right? Uh, and so what the gospel acrostic does is it is it does a couple things. It, it ensures a little bit of a quality control to make sure teenagers or if adults are using it they they they're sticking with what the scripture says but it also um becomes a way that you can memorize and articulate it naturally so the illustration i use is these six points of the gospel it's like 
chords on a guitar. You don't just pick up a guitar and start playing. You have to learn the chords. Well, you want to you want to you know learn the chords of the gospel so you can make it your own. And then the the other thing is you want to tell the whole story. You know, Paul says in Acts twenty, uh, you know, I didn't hesitate to proclaim the the, the whole counsel of God to you. So we want to make sure we tell the whole story, especially we live now in a post-Christian, you know, nation where a lot of people, especially young people, don't, they have not heard this. We're not in the fifties anymore. They've not heard the, the story. A lot of teenagers don't even really understand that Jesus died and rose again. I mean, there were bits and pieces of it. So how do we tell that whole story? So we use the gospel acrostic, G-O-S-P-E-L, to tell the whole story of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. G is God created us to be with him, you know, Genesis 1 and 2. God made Adam and Eve to be in the garden together with him. Uh, they walked together in the cool of the day. Uh, God, you know, handmade Adam in the in the mud, you know, in the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. The first thing Adam saw when he opened his eyes was the muddy, smiling face of his creator. And then later on, he he reaches into Adam's side and, and takes a rib and makes Eve. He got muddy to make Adam. He got bloody to make Eve. It sounds like a, you know, he got in the mud and the blood and the crud. It sounds like a country <laughs> Western song to be with us, right? Uh, to be in relationship with us. Um, but then, oh, our sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, they broke God's, you know, command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, they immediately became depraved, deprived, uh, rebellion against God, hiding from God. Uh, and we've been hiding from God ever since, you know, uh, Genesis three, our sin separated us from God. Ultimately that separation is eternity in hell, you know, uh, but that death, you know, spiritually dead at that point, then S sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Genesis four through Malachi four, uh, the blood, the sweat and the tears of, uh, you know, the blood, the, 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 the blood of the old Testament sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey the 613 commandments, the tears of contrition when they failed, all of that, you know, it was like putting white frosting on a burnt cake, right? So sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. The substitutionary atonement of Christ, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus, you know, became one of us, fully God, fully human, lived a perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we deserve, died in our place for our sin, was buried, rose again, left left as as our pastor, J.T. Inglis, says he left all, left all our sins in the tomb and rose from the dead, victorious over, over, over sin and death. And E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. You know, salvation is that transfer of trust from depending on what I do, depending on what Christ has done. Uh, and it's trusting him alone. It's not Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus Buddha. It's Jesus alone, the savior uh, of our lives. And then that uh, that's the book of John. You know, you see the one book written on believers, believe, 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 or trust, rely upon him. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's a personal, permanent relationship with God that can never be broken by us and will never be broken by him. And it doesn't start when we're in heaven. It starts as soon as we believe. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a train ride on earth to identity, belonging, and purpose. We find out who we are and why we're here and all this stuff as a result of that eternal life, knowing this is eternal life that they may know uh, you and, and the son whom he has sent. And so this... This great opportunity, this gospel acrostic, even though the six simple sentences are packed with theology. So we have students memorize it and then help them understand it and then articulate it and then personalize it. Uh, so that gospel acrostic, again, becomes the framework 
for helping them understand gospel or get gain gospel fluency. So it starts with gospel urgency. Why should I share the gospel? If you went to Dare to Share, you know, remember Friday night, we did some drama about something to get the heart, gospel urgency, then gospel fluency. What is the gospel? And then finally, we give a gospel strategy, and that would be our app. You know, or, you know, we also have cards that they can use as well. But again, that's the plate upon which you serve the gospel. So I'll show you the app real quick. So the app's called Life in Six Words. And um, what's cool about this app is you can see a an active map of where there's current gospel conversations taking place, gospel engagements of some kind, which so is super encouraging. So- so that's marking people who are currently using the app so and, and showing you where they're at. Yeah, it's like the last eight hours or something like that, but it shows you where you know where they're at. So it's re- really encouraging. Got some in Africa, South Africa, India, the Philippines. You know, it's just it's really cool to watch. But when you open it, you just push start a conversation. So teenagers, you know, they use uh, they're you know the most common way for a team to talk is not like this. It's like let me show you this video. Let me show you this TikTok. Well, let me show you this app. And then just ask. They ask their friends if you were to describe your life in six words, what would they be? And there's words like relationships, fun, God, meaningless, freedom, family, adventure, struggles, etc. So they choose the six words, and when they choose the six words that best describe their life, they ask their friend, "Why'd you choose those words?" So you hear their story and you get to know them and you get, you know, people just open up. Then you say, can I share with you my six words? And this is how you share your personal testimony. And you tell how Christ redeemed you from your, your past life. And then can I share with you God's words? And then that's when you walk through the gospel acrostic. We tell teens, if you can swipe and read, you can share the gospel. And then you pull up verses, a little scripture icon, just walk through the gospel and explain it as you go. You know, and if, you know, if they're ready to trust Christ, you click that. You can lead them through a prayer. And then water comes out and baptizes them. No, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, but but there's 20 different languages on here. So there's, you know, Spanish to Swahili to Russian to, I mean, all sorts of languages that you can use. And it changes the app and changes the whole app. You can create uh what we call cause circles of all the people you're praying for to come to Christ, put their names. It's really cool. And it's free on your app store. So it's just called life in six words. Wow. But again, it's the plate that you can serve that message on. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, 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 the, um, you know, the acronym has stuck with me and funny. So, cause of how long it's been, but even in our karate class, I, you know, we, we have to, they have to, they have things they have to memorize. They have to memorize the 10 commandments as a part of their learning their belts. And because it's, it's a, it's a program done in our church. So we do it as a, and it's free. So it's a ministry to the community, but it's also yeah. an opportunity sure. to share the gospel. And so we share the, the 10 commandments, but we also say, okay, and you learn the gospel and how, and for me, the gospel is easy. You, you write on the board, G O S P L God created us be with him. Our sin separates us from him. Yeah. And yeah. Put so, it right there. Yeah. And, 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 and you got so, it all. So like I said, I, from a, from, from just the standpoint of, uh, telling the, my audience how, again, I haven't seen you in 20 years other than Twitter. And yet I still remember that. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a, so that's, so this is, this is exactly what we want is we want to create. So there's a, there's a theological reason for this. So 
First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. What I receive, I also pass on to you as the first importance that Christ died for a sense according to scriptures. He was buried, rose from the dead, the dead according to scriptures, right? So that is what uh, theologians call a pre-Pauline creed, right? So mm -hmm. somebody had trained the Apostle Paul in that exact verbiage. He memorized it, and then he trained the Corinthians. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. So I look at the gospel acrostic as creedal. And it's, it helps Christians understand, okay, Christian teens understand, okay, this is the gospel. And adults, too. When I was a pastor, I was a pastor for 10 years. I was pastoring and doing Dare to Share on, on the, as a side hustle for a while, right? And then the Columbine High School shooting happened. And I'm like, this has got to be my main focus, reaching these teens. But we trained all of our adults. They, knew, they all knew the gospel across. Like, they're able to share their faith all the time because you get it. And again, then you can articulate it, make it your own, and you're ready because you know what to say. I think a lot of Christians don't share the gospel. Two reasons. They don't know what to say, and they don't know how to bring it up. And so we have a whole strategy for bringing it up outside the app. And I can, if you want, I can just share with you three simple words. Yeah, I was going to say, and that moves, in, the gospel. Yeah, that moves into what I wanted, yeah. to, wanted to talk about, which was um, because with the holidays coming, and one of the things I had asked you before coming on the show is with the holidays coming, I wanted to think about, okay, I know there's going to be people that are going to be sitting around tables with people they may only see twice a year, you know, Christmas and Easter or whatever. And this yep. is an opportunity for them to maybe speak into someone else's life. And yet they won't know how to start or they might not feel comfortable starting. I know I've been there. I'm a, I, I've, I've spoken in, I've spoken to thousands of people at one time, but talking to one person is harder for me than talking to 500 people. 500 people is no problem because I'm, yeah. it's me. But when I'm talking to one person, I can be like, oh, like my tongue gets stuck at the roof, roof of my mouth. So you're, you're, you, you yes, please share that. The, the, yeah. So this has been really, this has been really freeing for a lot of people because we used to just have the diagnostic kind of, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Uh, you know, if I could tell you, you could know, would that be good news? And that those are, those are fine. Uh, I'm, I'm for, I'm for everything, right? That that gets a gospel conversation going, but it only appeals to a certain um, slice of believers. You know, uh, there's different styles of sharing the gospel. So, um, so we we developed a style that actually we 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 did a reality series years ago called Gospel Journey Maui. We took a Mormon, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. Sounds like a setup to a joke into a bar and we met a priest. Well, we took him to Maui, uh, like six or seven different worldviews. And I watched my buddy Zane. Zane was a surfer, former drug dealer, radically converted. He was there as kind of one of the participants, but kind of as, as a guide. He took something from everybody's belief system. He listened to them and he wove together day one, this beautiful gospel presentation. And I'm like, my goodness, how did he just do that? Because I just wanted to Scarface evangelism, you know, say hello to my little friend, pull up my Bible, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was asking, he was admiring. So we said, hey, this is, there's something in here. Ask, admire, admit. Ask questions. So I was asking the questions, actually. They were all sharing. And then Zane started to admire something about their belief system. And he's, you know, his former drug dealer, surfer guy. He was like, bro, so I was listening to you talk, Joss or Muhammad. You believe in one God? I do too, bro. 
his name is Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, Emma, you, you're a Buddhist and you want peace? Guess what Jesus calls himself? The Prince of Peace. And he took <laughs> something from everybody's belief system and he wove together this gospel. And you know what it made me think of? Paul in Acts 17 with the men of the Areopagus. What does he do? I see instead of lamb blasting their paganism, he takes these epic and, and uh, epic and Stoic philosophers, and he compliments them because I see you're a very religious people. I even saw an altar to an unknown God, and he quotes a pagan poet. He finds common ground, and you know, in our apologetics world, we just want to we just want to go at him. And I, I, you know, what Paul did in a in a in a society that did not believe Jesus was, you know, who he was, didn't even know who he was. He found common ground. And then he told the story of the gospel. And he used apologetics at the very end. He's given proof to this by raising Jesus from the dead. That's when somebody, some reject, some say we want to hear you again, and some believe, right? So ask questions, admire what you can. You meet a Muslim, and you just pray five times a day. That's about four times more than the average Christian does. You meet a Mormon, man, you guys, you know, you're committed to mission, committed to family. You have excellent cardio because of all the biking, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, you, you meet, you know, you meet a different world, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's Wiccan, you know, well, they believe in the supernatural. Well, you know, I believe, we believe in the supernatural. We believe in a spiritual world and spiritual realm. Find common ground and then share the story of the gospel. And yes, there's times we need to break out the apologetics, but let us break out the apologetics once we're actually having a conversation. And let's 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 don't play, uh, you know, tic tac toe. I mean, we're you know that's those always once once you pass five years old, those end up in a draw, right? Well, the Book of Mormon's better than the Bible. The Bible's better than the Book of Mormon. You know, it's it's you know it's a draw. It's a draw. It's a draw. We want to win people, so let's start by asking, admiring, admitting, and then sharing the gospel, and then let's open up the can of apologetics because now we're listening to each other. So ask, admire, admit. I think that's been, in the last probably 15 years, uh, probably been the best thing on just practical evangelism that we've been able to see. And again, I saw it. I give Zane the credit, you know, um, for pulling that off almost intuitively uh, on a volcano in Maui. (laughs) Uh, Gospel Journey Maui. So. Could you clarify? I, I understand ask and admire. Can you clarify admit one more time? I'm just not sure I picked it up. I want to make sure the audience understands. Yeah, yeah. So so admit, yeah, I sh- I don't think I shared it. So admit is you admit admit that you need Jesus more than anybody. Mm, so this okay. is when you share your testimony. So you ask questions, you admire, and then you admit, man, you know, and and this Jesus saved me. And you know, I you know, my life was like this before I came to Christ, and then I heard this message, and since then God has Try and radically transform me, you know, and so that's when you admit your own need of Jesus. So it's really, it's kind of the opposite. It's not going high, it's going low. You know, it's 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 one beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread. Yeah, it's not I'm better than you, but I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and you can have that same grace. Amen. I, I, I had a, a man come to the church one time who needed uh, food. We have people come where, where our church is located. We have a lot of people who come and, and need need things. So I took him into the fellowship hall. I was giving him some food and I was trying to share the gospel with him. And I said to him uh, that um, 
that apart from Christ, I have nothing and, and I'm desperate without him. Just like what you just said, admitted my need. And he looked at me and he said, oh, oh, preacher, you can't think like that. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And I said, first, yeah. first of all, the irony is you came here because you're hungry. And you don't have anything. There's, there's irony in your words. But second, yeah. I said, dude, I don't have any boots and I don't have any straps when it comes to my salvation. I don't have anything I can grab a hold of and do myself. I either have to trust that Christ yep. did it all, or I have to trust in something I've done. And if I trust in something I've done, I'm going to come up on the day of judgment and be found wanting. I have to trust completely in what Christ yep. has done. So yeah, no boots, no straps. It's all totally. It's, and it's, yeah, I was doing a podcast uh, a couple of days ago where we do a podcast here at Dare to Share. And um, I was talking about the, the ladder versus the chair. The ladder approach, every world religion has got a ladder approach where you, there's certain rungs you got to climb, right? Judaism, you got 10, the 10 commandments. You got, you know, uh, Muslim, you have the five pillars of Islam, you know, and, and, you know, Mormonism, you got the doctrines and the covenants and, you know, Catholicism, you have penance and confession and, you know, whatever. Every ism has got that, that, that rung approach of some kind to nirvana or paradise or heaven or whatever you want to call it. Only Christianity is a chair where you just rest on what Jesus has done. You, you just rest on the finished work. And I love that illustration because, you know, he did, he did all the work. And it's called the finished work for a reason. And, uh, man, praise God. And it's, it's, you know, a transfer of trust from what we do to what Jesus has done. So that's that's what the gospel acrostic helps reiterate. And I think the ask, admire, admit is a simple on-ramp. And then at the end, if you, we use the idea of a takeoff to touchdown, you know, fly. How do you how do you begin the conversation? Ask, admire, admit. What's your flight plan? The GOSPL. How do you land the plane? I ask two questions. One is, does that make sense? Make sure they understand the gospel because there may be parts of it they don't understand and re-explain. If it does make sense, Here's the question. This is the invitation question, but I love the way this is phrased because it doesn't—it doesn't feel to me like you're forcing somebody to say yes. You ask the question: Is there anything holding you back from putting your faith in Jesus right now? Mm. And if they say yeah, there is, then say what is that, and then tackle that objection the best that you can. And if there's nothing, say, would you like to put your faith and trust in Him now? You know, and then boom. They've given the opportunity to, to say yes to Jesus. You know, I, I'm much more concerned that they actually say yes to Jesus in their heart than they do just, you know, just to me. And, you know, like, you know, asking a question that almost makes it impossible to say no to. I want them really to understand the gospel and, and put their faith in Christ. Amen. Yeah, yeah I, I worry sometimes, and I know we, we're going to draw to a close soon, but I, I would like you to speak to this as we draw to a close. I, I worry that some methods— Will will lend themselves to producing false conversions and false statements of faith. And you just said something. Oh you, yeah. You said you said you you don't want that. So to, so speak to that for no. just a moment as we begin to draw. Yeah. So when I give an invitation, I'm very clear. And now I'm talking about a public invitation, and I'm also one on one. That that so many invitations mix salvation and sanctification, and you get a heresy smoothie. Because they want to get the response 
So you're like, you know, if you're ready to, you know, you want to get saved and walk this aisle or say this prayer and, and, and stand up right now or do that. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Make, you know, make sure they've believed in their heart and have been justified first. Then they can make that public profession, right? Um, that yes, I believed in my heart. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he is who he claimed to be, and we, which was the baptismal confession. So I think we have to really be careful. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, if, if, if you want to, if, if you're, you know, I had one preacher at a, at a, at a huge evangelism outreach say, if you don't walk this aisle tonight, you can't be saved. I ran the aisle. Everybody thought the Dare to Share guy was getting saved. I was just going down to witness to the people down that walked the aisle because they had, I talked to two Latino guys and I go, why are you here? And they said, the guy said, we couldn't be saved. We don't walk the aisle. I said, do you understand the gospel? He said, we had no idea. So I, I went, I shared the gospel with them. I went around sharing the gospel, with, you know, taking them from counselors. Like you guys don't know what that because <laughs> we don't want false conversions. We don't want people to just raise their hand or stand up or walk an aisle. And I have no problem. I do responses like that, but you make sure the best that you can that right now you, you know, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you trusted in him, there's going to be a lot of people in hell who said the sinner's prayer, mm-hmm. but never trusted in Jesus Christ, as their savior. And again, I lead people through a prayer, but I always say, saying a prayer does not save you. It's your faith in Christ Amen. and his finished work on the cross. So I just think we have to really be clear. Amen. Well, Greg, I, I, I've been very encouraged by you. And, and, and again, 20 years, man, <laughs> I had to, I had to see you sooner than this uh, next time. But, uh, but I do want to just, as we close, I want to thank you so much for being here. And if you would just one more time, tell people how to get the app, how to connect with dare to share and any events that you have coming up, yeah. anything you want to share with our audience. Sure. So we have, uh, you can get the app. It's called life in six words. Uh, free on your app store. Um, dare to share.org. It's the number two, dare to share.org. Uh, this summer, we do a week long event called Lead the Cause, which is kind of our Navy SEAL boot camp for students and evangelism and youth groups and their student leadership groups uh, here in Denver, Colorado. It's awesome. It's the best thing that we do. And then put November 9th next year on your calendar, Dare to Share Live. Uh, that's a free event, Dare to Share Live, and you can go to daretosharelive.org for more information. Follow me at Greg Steer, S-T-I-E-R. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that, but Greg Steer. And yeah, I mean, I wrote a book, if anybody likes to read, Unlikely Fighter, that tells the story of my, my family's radical conversion because this hillbilly preacher, it's on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And every dollar, every dime goes back to mobilize more students for the gospel. So we won't stop until every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a friend. So don't underestimate the teenagers in your church, in your youth group, mobilize them and let us help you do that. Amen. Well, thank you, Greg, again, for being a part of today's show. One teen, baby. Yep. And I want to thank you audience for being a part of conversations with the Calvinist today. Again, you heard everything about Greg and how you can follow him and get in touch with him. And I encourage you to do that. And if you'd like to know more about what we're doing here at Conversations with a Calvinist, you can find us at calvinistpodcast.com. You can send an email directly to me at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer in an upcoming show. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at your Calvinist on Twitter. I want to thank you again for listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.